starting gun has fired across Europe from France to Spain and Serie A is the last of the lot to take the line again. Another season played out across the Azzurri Blue and who can stop Juve's dream of nine in a row from coming true? We start in Turin with Sarri in and a depth that few can boast. Matthias Delight joins the ranks to boost a defensive host. Aaron Ramsey, Rabio, Buffon back once more and CR7's forward line shaking defences to the core. From black and white to black and blue, Conte crosses the divide. Arch enemy to the mister now, it's going to be some ride. It's three at the back and Rom in attack and a new era dawns at Inter. Is this the time to shake off the drama and leave behind that winter? And on the red side of Milan, a sleeping giant wakes. The Rossoneri back alive. Has Gianpaolo got what it takes to take them back to the top of the game, to the pinnacle, to the peak? Can he ignite the old San Siro flame and end this barren streak? In Naples, dreams of Hammers have ground themselves to dust for the perennial challenges, the eternal bridesmaids. Trophies are a must. With Carlo there, there's always hope that this could be their year. Facing Sarri, a Greek god at the back, and Napoli have no fear. And what about Atalanta? First time in the UCL. Papu Gomez dancing away. Things are going swell. Can they keep up the battle on home soil and on tour? Because fighting on two fronts is surefire way to lose a war. Rome's alive as well. The eternal battle in the eternal city. With Lazio and Roma, there's no mercy. There's no pity. The Olympico burns. The rivalry scorches. The city set ablaze. Where a derby win is heaven and a loss. The end of days. Ribri and Viola. Ballo at Brescia. Rajat Cagliari. It's chaos and it's madness. And we're all excited, aren't we? Italy stirs, Calcio back, the latest of the lot. Watch out, world, the stars align. Serie A coming in hot. Can you not do this in your spare time? Yeah, I mean, I probably could, but it's not, it's not so much fun if, if people don't get to listen to it, do they? <laughs> special. Welcome to our Football Ranks, ladies and gentlemen. As you might have guessed, it's a Calcio special this week as we gear up for the start of Serie A. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And with me is the rank god himself, still refreshed and radiant from your travels, I see, Sam. How are you doing? Oh, thank you very much. I am good. I am good. Well, it's time for hot takes. What have you got for me this week? So, Friday, La Liga, kickoff. Barcelona lost 1-0. They did, yeah. Bad start, huh? Bad start. And lots of people I would say, or I've seen, are suggesting that this is kind of proof that they still need to recruit a certain individual from Brazil, Neymar. But I don't necessarily see it that way. Okay. I think while Neymar would obviously be a massive help to any team because he's an amazing footballer, the problems on Friday were, well, first of all, you lost to an absolute wonder goal and you hit the the crossbar and post twice. So it's fine margins. Luis Suarez went off injured. So again, one of those things. Sometimes things go wrong on a football pitch, but also probably more a case of Ernesto Valverde, the manager kind of needs to get to grips with his new team and his new pieces that he's acquired because we saw Griezmann start off the left flank and we saw him and Jordi Alba. Like, do they actually know each other's first names? Like they definitely didn't have a relationship. Jordi Alba looked shocked that there was anyone ahead of him because he generally gets the entire left flank to play with. And any winger that they play off the left will always cut inside. And Griezmann actually spent quite a lot of time stretching out to the wide areas to try and, you know, stretch the pitch out, which is fair enough. But Alba was like quite confused by it. Yeah. So there's actually no relationship on that left-hand side. The midfield makeup. While it probably will work in future, Frankie de Jong play, has played in a, in a basically a double pivot, a midfield two in a 4-2-3-1 for both Ajax and the Netherlands. So his partner in those scenarios, Lasse Schoener for Ajax and Martin Daroon for the Netherlands during the UEFA Best social league. media account on, on best, Twitter. Best under the radar football social media account Absolutely, for sure. 100%. He's brilliant. So playing him as the, the deepest midfielder, the sole pivot in a 4-3-3, I think it will eventually work. But for now, you're basically asking him to do something that actually 
He doesn't do that often. Uh, and, you, and you're asking him to do it under one hell of a microscope. Opening game of Barcelona's campaign in which they are expected to not only win La Liga, but probably go on and win the Champions League as well. So I appreciate there's no Messi. And I appreciate that's probably why some people are saying, oh, you need Neymar in case you don't have Messi. This team should still be good enough to beat Athletic Club, as good as they were. They were really good. They were really good. Adderley scored an amazing goal. Defensively, they were very compact. Jackie Williams was absolutely sensational. Inyaki put in one of the biggest shifts I've ever seen from a striker. And Raul Garcia, still going, put on. He, he basically man-marked Frankie de Jong. These are just teething problems for their new squad. This is not evidence that you need to pay another 200 million euros Dembele's to buy Dembele's got injured again now, though. He has, he another has. five weeks out. Coutinho's gone and Dembele, Dembele's injured. Um, honestly, once Messi comes back and once, once, once he starts to iron out the kinks in this side, it will be fine. I'm not saying Neymar wouldn't help. No. But this is not definitive proof that they have to have him. This is just Ernesto Valverde basically misusing his players. Okay. All right, so sorry, it's a, sorry, a managerial Ernesto. issue as opposed to a personnel issue. I think I so, say. yeah. My hot take is related, so let's keep it rolling. Okay. Um, it's that Philippe Coutinho, obviously left by Barcelona to go to Bayern, is a brilliant signing for Bayern Munich, Fair and enough. this is something that's been hotly debated on social media this week. Look, I know he hasn't had the best of times at Barcelona. There are people out there saying he's been passed around like a parcel, you know, across the big clubs of Europe, which I think is a little bit harsh. But at Barcelona, he's been played basically out on the wing where he's not that comfortable. And I think this all changes under Kovac at Bayern. I think he takes Hammers' spot as the 10 with two of Perisic or Komen or Nabry wide of him. And I think this is where he gets his mojo back. We know how good he can be. And I think if he can start pulling the strings in the midfield three there behind Lewandowski... I think it makes Bayern favourites for the Bundesliga title again. Nice. There's my hot take. That is a hot take. I, I like half of that take because I think Coutinho is amazing. He's been misused. He's been passed around. He needs a bit of rehab. And whoever gives him that rehab is going to have a phenomenal player on their hands. Absolutely. I mean, shades of hammers joining, isn't it? A couple of years ago. I mean, there's not quite as deep in the mire. But no, yeah. but it's, it's a similar scenario in which you're, you're basically borrowing a player who's down on his luck, but you know can be amazing. Hammers was good in fits and starts. Coutinho needs to be good every single week. Yeah. And he can be because he's amazing. However, I don't think it tips them over the edge. I'm still back in Dortmund. And like what I saw from them on the opening weekend, that blitz, that attacking blitz, it's very difficult to change my mind here. They're and, very good. And, and here's, where I, here's where I'll pull you on it, basically. Coutinho, great. But I still think that in Royce and Sancho, they probably have a better attacking force. Sancho, I think, could do destructive things this season to the point where he may just be in that player of the year conversation. Involved in all five goals at the weekend. Just ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. And then, Absurd and then potentially, potentially more important is that I think Lucien Favre is a better manager than Niko Kovac. Yeah, okay, um, fair enough. And those things combined, Coutinho is not quite enough for me to change that prediction, which was, of course, Dortmund to win the league. I, th- I think it's closer. It's really close now, but it's not enough to tip my... I think that's fair enough. I also think this rests on whether Coutinho gets played in his favourite position or not. If if Kovac starts to play Coutinho wide, yeah. then we're in all sorts of trouble. Like, well, I mean, Coutinho. I mean, he'll be he'll be trouble. fine there. Yeah, 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 of course. But that's not going to be the rehab he needs and the kind of no. pull like, pulling the strings central position that he needs to have in order to kind of find his mojo again. So if you want if you want Coutinho to come inside and pull the strings, presumably from a number eight or number ten role or a hybrid of each, are you worried about Thiago? I'm not worried about him because I also think that a midfield three of Thiago, Coutinho and Leon Goretzka is maybe the greatest thing that's ever happened. But I do concern, I'm concerned slightly about the lack of defensive 
nous, shall we say, in there. I mean, they've got other players to use. You don't have to use Goretzka there. You can use Martinez. I just wonder if... if I think Thiago and Coutinho could be the greatest link-up outside, you know, of of two Barcelona players outside Barcelona for forever, maybe. Two little dancers on the pitch. I think it'd be magnificent to watch them both in in action for full time. So that's good. As ever, we let you decide the third hot take for day in the poll. And we asked you which of the homegrown playmakers making their way in the Premier League for the first time that you wanted us to discuss. So we offered you Chelsea's Mason Mount and Arsenal's Joe Willock. An astounding two-thirds, 67% of the vote went to Mason Mount. Sam, I know you are a massive Mason Mount fan. And thus, I'm going to throw this to you. And you have been for some time, haven't you? I have, yeah. Just, I'm surprised that the Arsenal Twitter didn't turn up for Willock here. Um, yeah. We've heard so much about Arsenal Twitter. Got, you got you to never get... underestimate Arsenal Twitter. That's the key. Well, I think we may have overestimated them. No, I think, I think maybe they just didn't, didn't, didn't <laughs> care that much about Joe Willock at this point. Well, that's harsh. But anyway, we're here to talk about Mason Mount. Um, and I have been a fan of his for a while. I wrote uh, an article for Bleach Report in 2017 about him when he was playing for the Chelsea youth side. Uh, since then, he's taken on loans. He went to Vitesse, he went to Derby, played under Frank Lampard and has now started the season for Chelsea. He's got the guy who he's actually been likened to in some ways in terms of the, in the way he arrives late in the box and finishes. That's a very Frank Lampard trait. That's kind of called the Frank Lampard late run into the penalty box. So he's he's got that trait and he's got the guy who mastered it coaching him. He's got that belief. Um, Mount plays with an incredible amount of enthusiasm, but also a lot of guile. I'm starting to wonder if he ends up a little bit like a kind of a Deli Alley second striker presence. Um, I once had him pegged as an Adam Lalana because he's so silky and fluid. Yeah. Um, plays on the turn, plays quickly. That was probably a compliment when you said it. Yeah. It probably wouldn't uh, be anymore. Two and a half years ago, that was, that was a compliment. Yeah. Um, but actually, pressing and off balance shooting. Yeah, really good are two of his best traits. Like, it doesn't really matter what body shape his position is in. He will probably find the net or, or, go, or come close. Um, he scored his first, first goal for Chelsea uh, yeah. at the weekend and it was, it, he was completely off balance. Like, it was absolutely ridiculous. And it came from him pressing his, oppo- his opposition into submission, taking the ball off him and putting it in the net. It was fantastic. I thought he was excellent first half of the weekend. And something that struck me was that it's the first time really that we've seen him play through the middle. Obviously, he's been sort of shifted left and right with, with Barkley. And, and I know they've been sort of interchanging. Yeah. But it's the first time you saw him with two natural wide men either side of him. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, I was wondering if that made a difference. Well, I th- Old Trafford, first of all, as we said last week, like they're very unlucky to lose that game 4-0. Um, and they Not had to their, lose the game, just to lose 4-0. To lose 4-0, yeah. And they, um, they had their chances early on. And Matt was very bright in those first 20 minutes. Um, very, very bright indeed. And he was again against Leicester. He played, Lampard played Barkley and Mount in that game. And I feel like it didn't really work. Scoreline says, fair enough. Scoreline says it didn't um, But I do, because Barkley had a very good preseason. And it was almost like he was loath to leave him out as, as a result of that, but also wanted to put his stall out and say, I believe in the youth. I believe in Mason Mount. So he fielded them both. It did work. So he went back to basically what he probably wanted to do in the first place against Leicester and played two wingers and played Mason Mount. And it was much, much better. So Pudisic, Pedro, Mount is a front three or attacking midfield three that I'm really excited about. And if Mount, if Mount, can, Mount has the talent to become a very, very, very good player. Um, and if he develops into the sort of Deli Alley, second striker, hybrid, attacking mid type, who chips in with 10 goals, which he did at Derby, yeah, yeah. and he could easily do so at Chelsea, he'll have an extremely successful season. And I think he'll capture the whole country and the whole world's imagination. I think there's one thing to be said here, and it's a negative in, in some regards, but 
for me, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is potentially the most important player in this Chelsea side, bar, you know, the centre-backs and, and Kante. maybe Kante. Um, sorry, and obviously Kante. Obviously. Um, because he's so crucial to how they get up and down the pitch and his, like, mobility and physical physicality and his presence is mm. so key. When he comes back from injury, the only player I can see him replacing is Mount. It could, that could be the case. I mean, look, by that point, Jorginho could be, un- could be under threat. Kovacic could be under threat. We don't know exactly how that plays out. The problem Ruben Lossacic has is not anything to do with talent. It's the fact that he is, he's got quite a lot, quite a bad injury history already for someone who isn't that old. And he is basically in a position where as talented as he is, and he's amazing, you can't rely on him. Like his body is not responding to what he does to it. And that's really sad. But Chelsea cannot be in a situation where they call Ruben Lossacic one of their key players and a player that they absolutely require to have a good game to be good. They need other plans. And that's where Mount comes in here. Like it's another academy product, which is great. But you need to be able to pivot away from relying on Ruben Loftus-Cheek because he has proven over the last couple of years that his body can't really deal with it. Okay. It sucks. I hate it's, saying it's it. It's sad. It is sad because he is such a talent. Yeah. Well, that is us all done for Hot Takes, which leads us on to this week's Big Rankings. We're going to be welcoming a very special guest to talk Calcio after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time for this week's big ranking. Today, we're going to take a look through Serie A and see who the challenges to Juventus are. In short, ranking the five teams who are best placed to challenge Juventus for that Serie A crown. To help us out, we've brought through a very special guest. And this one makes me very happy because it's very much hashtag one of our own. <laughs> Leisure Report Football's very own Serie A aficionado, Mr. <laughs> Alex McGovern, known around this office as Calcio. Gov, Alex, a genuine pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to the Rank Squad. I'm glad that Nick's name is in the public domain now. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's yeah. no longer a secret. <laughs> you are very much now in the in the public eye as Calcio Gov. <laughs> so we're going to talk about challenges to Juventus, but it would make no sense to not first discuss the champions themselves. So Sam, I'm going to throw this one to you quickly. Juventus were very good last year, and they've got even better. Yeah, we don't mean to disrespect everybody by ranking them as contenders, but let's be frank, Juventus won the league for the last eight years and the summer work has been very, very strong. They now have one of the deepest squads in terms of quality and quantity, potentially in Europe, maybe the deepest best squad in Europe. Um, They've got Ronaldo. They've got a new manager whose philosophy will probably suit their ball playing players a lot better. I think Juventus will be a better watch. They won't be reduced to just crossing the ball into the box of Mandzukic and Ronaldo, which used to really annoy me. Did work. I mean, it did work to a point. Didn't get what they wanted, though, did they? No. Champions League, so something to work on. So it's no disrespect to the others, but we basically just can't foresee a scenario in which Juventus don't win a ninth straight title. And that's because they are ominous. They are all-powerful. They are consistent. They are brilliant. They're very much the big bad wolf. Yeah. Uh, Gov, I know that you are a big Sarri fan. Uh, and how do you think that transition is going to work for Juventus this summer? Uh, I think it's a tough one. I mean, he's very much a... a process manager I think it could take Sarri a while to get going and you know a year ago I couldn't see the the streak ending I couldn't see who could possibly beat them uh but the arrival of certain people in the division and the arrival of Sarri who might take a little bit of time to get going I actually think this is the best chance in in the eight years for someone else to uh, to take the crown so I think I think there's a fair chance of it happening this year okay I like right. it I like the optimism I do I do so <laughs> I wish I had it 
I know. Well, Gov does, and that's what's important here. So that's the champions. Let's take a look at the contenders. And so, Alex, you're going to work us through from five to one, the teams you think are best placed to stick it to Piemonte Calcio this season. <laughs> we'll start at five and work through to one. And by five, it's it's the sixth place team in the table. We're basically working up the table. Cool. So where, where are we going with sixth? All right. So bottom of our rankings, uh, I've got Roma. Oh, I know. Sam loves Roma. I know. Oh. It's going to surprise a few, but I think their squad is just not strong enough. Okay. Uh, they've not got enough good, good players now. Um, uh, there's chaos off the pitch. You know, we saw when Tossi left at the end of last season, him yeah. calling out the management, criticising everything that's going on at the club. Uh, they've got De Rossi, who's just left for Boca Juniors as well, in really bad fashion, the way that the club let him go. Yeah. So there's going to be a leadership void uh, in the squad. Manolas, their best defender, has just gone to Napoli. Yeah. So I, it's all I, fair. Yeah. Also, also they're, they're trying to repair from Monchi because Monchi wasn't that much of a success, was he? No. As the sporting director at Roma, he's gone back to Sevilla now. It does feel like some of their transfer work has been to um, to kind of rectify what he did, almost. Yeah, I think so. We see like Nzonzi leave and uh, uh, and a few others as well. And really, not many of his signings did particularly well. They brought in a few good players like Paul Lopez, uh, formerly of yep. Betis. Um, Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, there's always a Betis one, isn't there? There's always a link. There's always a link, yeah. Uh, Paolo Lopez is, is a huge upgrade on Robin Olsen. Very, very good yeah. keeper. I think most people would be at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, listen, I understand your concerns about the squad, but the manager, Paolo Fonseca, is, is, is kind of one of my favourites. Okay. Um, and the, I think where they do lack a little bit in quality, and I will accept that, they will wow us on the pitch with the style. Um, what he managed to do, Fonseca managed to produce at Shakhtar Donetsk was consistently great. And some of the signings that they've made this summer, like Diawara to control midfield mm-hmm. and Spinazzola to rampage forward on the left, I think they can have a very big impact. I probably would have had Roma in a similar, similar position to you had they not tied down Ed and Dzeko. Okay. And that, for me, was a huge piece of business and a huge move for them because they not only does that keep just a prolific striker, mm-hmm. um, I know you're a, a big, big fan of Big Ed in, yeah, for sure. um, but also means that they don't have to worry about buying a striker as well as solving the clear centre-back issue. The only thing about that is that I saw Mooted in the press, and obviously it's been swapped, it's been swapped all summer, as you know, Sam, um, but so Mooted in the press that there was a potential swap deal between Icardi and Dzeko. Now, I think Icardi is the perfect striker for a Fonseca system. I know Icardi comes with all the baggage. I appreciate that... Yeah, Govers is talking about carnage off the pitch. What, are you trying to create <laughs> well, I more? Mean, I mean, there's more carnage off the pitch. You may as well just throw it all in together and see what happens. No. I, I know Icardi comes with that baggage, but for a Fonseca system... He is the kind of perfect striker because the striker just is a, a goal scorer, a poacher, and... Jekko's a wonderful player. I'm not, I'm not trying to take that. away from him. But he's more than that. He's more than just a killer in the box. Yeah, of course. So he'll be even better. Okay. <laughs> I think I think Icardi guarantees goals wherever he goes, but clearly all he wants is Juventus or pretty much nobody. Uh, you know, there's a small chance of Napoli happening at the moment. Um, yeah, like you say, Roma's mooted. The other option they were looking at supposedly is Higuain, and I'm not sure he's the answer to anyone's problem. No, I don't think so. Not at this point. So, no. I don't know. I, I, I agree. I think Dzeko's uh, going to be key to have kept. Yeah. Uh, Zaniolo is another bright spark. He's, he's really, really good. I think he can have a big season. Hopefully, Justin Kleifer might come good. 
There are some bright sparks, but... Yeah, there are a fair few breakout candidates here. Um, Justin Cliver is is absolutely one of them. And Cengiz Under needs to break back out, I I was going to say, say, yeah, had a breakout season, went back under the radar, and now needs another breakout season. I think there's there's, there's potential for, like, maybe, like, five or six of them. And if two of them come off, they they might surprise us a little bit. Um, But I I completely understand where you're going there. So let's move on to the next team. Okay, so next up, uh, in number four, I've got Marco Giampaolo's New Look Milan. Okay. So he's just arrived from Sampdoria, replacing club legend Gennaro Gattuso. Uh, and they've made a number of good signings. I think a few players that, that you're going to like as well. Hmm. Um, I can't see them challenging the top three. I think that's going to be a step too far for them. Okay. Challenging the sort of fourth, fifth, maybe third, depending on how the next club on the, on the ranking gets on. Uh, but I think, I think they've made some good signings. So Ben Asser is going to be a really good signing from Empoli. Yeah. So he impressed when they went down last season, despite them going down. Uh, he's got the momentum. He just won African Cup of Nations of Algeria. Was named player of the tournament. Yep. So he looks like he's going to be a really important signing. And what's and he going to do for them exactly? So Jean-Paul is going to play a midfield diamond. Yeah. So whether he plays probably at the base, but possibly on one of the wide roles, uh, along with the likes of kind of Frank Kessier, Suso probably going to play as uh, the number ten. Yeah. If he stays, we'll come on to Suso. He'll <laughs> stay. Carry I on. Think, I think he'll stay. Uh, we've got uh, Krunic, who's also arrived from uh, for Empoli as well. Uh, so, so we've got a number of good good players. Bonaventura in that, is kind of in there somewhere as well, isn't he? And... Yeah, exactly. We'll see how he is after his injuries. Yeah. Uh, and they've got a good defence as well now. When everyone's fit, I think Matteo Kadara is uh, is a brilliant player when he can be fit. So yeah. we'll see if that happens. But that kind of that back line of Donnarumma, Caldara, Romanoli, uh, Calabria, and Tia Hernandez, a new signing. Yeah, I think Tia Hernandez is a brilliant signing. Obviously, mm. the diamond that Giampaolo employs in midfield doesn't allow for that much width. So you need your fullbacks to provide for the for the front two and and give them something to play off. And Tia Hernandez, if he gets back to that rampaging Alaves best that we saw yeah. of him. Is, is the perfect player to do that. If he can rumble up and down that touchline and get the ball into the middle for the likes of Piontek and whoever decides to partner him, you know, there's been whispers of Correa, there's been all sorts of people linked with, with partnering Piontek up front. But if Teo can get the ball into those areas, that's a brilliant, brilliant signing for Milan. It's a, t- it's a tough role to play when you play as a fullback in a diamond because that midfield is so narrow and because you have no winger ahead of you. Yep, the strikers can dip wide on occasion, but they don't usually use that area. It's basically all on you to hold the width of the entire team all the way up and down the pitch. It, and it takes a really quite a powerful and stamina heavy kind of like energetic player to, to really manage that to do, as you say, to kind of rumble or rampage. We use those words because they need to really shoot forward with venom in order to hold that entire width. And Teo is, is that guy yeah. in a way that maybe Ricardo Rodriguez isn't. He's, he's, mm. he's a more of a, a tepid player. Um, I don't think he gives you that oomph necessarily. So I understand the signing there. We were questioning earlier in the summer, weren't we? How many left backs does the team actually need? Because the <laughs> shout's still kicking around, isn't he? But heavy yeah, or something soon. Yeah, you'd we'll, imagine we'll, one we'll, of them is going to leave. We, yeah, we shall see. But we're pretty excited about Milan. So you've got them in fifth place in the table and fourth in the ranking. Fourth, is there oh, any, this is getting quite confusing. Isn't is there it? any drawbacks? You know, where where are Milan going to fall down? You said you don't see them really pushing on to challenge. You know, we talked a lot about how good these players are they've brought in. Where do you see them falling down? So the strikers now, they've got Piontek, going to be partnered by Rafael Leal, as it stands, uh, the young Lille forward. Took about Angel Correa as well. So is Leal going to take a bit of time to get going? 
And Correa, I'm not sure he's a 40, 50 million euro player. You guys no. might have other takes not on that. Not really, no. Really. <laughs> so, we yeah. like him. Yeah. We like Correa, but we're not sure he's a 14, 15 million euro We said player. that a lot about players this summer. Yeah. He's pretty good. Don't pay that much for him. <laughs> that was, that's <laughs> our take on most things, I think. Yeah. But yeah, and, so that's where. Yeah, exactly. And um, the benefit they have got is not playing in the in European competition. They've dropped out as part of their kind of financial fair play agreement. Uh, so they're going to have that advantage over some other clubs who have got a heavier workload. We've seen over the last few years that that can make a big difference. Yeah. So that's that's in their advantage too. So I think Milan, they're not there yet and they're not ready to challenge with the, kind of the next few clubs. Uh, but they're moving in the, in the right direction for what feels like the first time in a while. Okay. Maybe maybe just a bit of an adaption. And, and maybe just... It's, I think it's how long it takes to fit into yeah. this Jam Palace. It's not a normal system. People don't play with a diamond that often these days in the modern game because of what we said before, the lack of width that it offers you and the kind of support you don't get down the flanks, mm. especially with overlapping fullbacks and, and people really focusing down those sides. So we'll see how long it takes for them to get used to that. I think it is something worth you know, yeah. pointing out. And they're possibly missing a number 10 as well. I mean, Suso is naturally a winger. Looks like he's been playing as a number 10. It's not really his... His ideal position. How we love Suso. No, Sam, Sam, no love Suso, Suso slander. Well. No Suso slander. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got Lucas Paqueta too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we'll like see Piquetta. how he does. He, I mean, he's a super talented player, so maybe he'll fill that role. Is yeah. it just? Is it just a case of maybe they just have five percent or maybe ten percent less quality than the, the, the clubs that we're going to come exactly. on to? Like it's all, it's all, it's all kind of shaping up for them, but they're just, they're just a little bit off. Yeah, and there's, there's right. nothing wrong with that, Milan, because you've, you've been lounging a little bit recently so so baby steps so that's the so we've basically done the Europa League spots we've gone sixth and fifth in the table kind of accordingly Mm -hmm. is there any honourable mentions you want to give for those spots before we move into the Champions League I guess yeah so quick shout out to Lazio Uh, (laughs) shout out to Lazio (laughs) shout out my guy Sergei (laughs) well exactly a couple of years ago Lazio was sensational they scored the most goals in the league they should have qualified for the Champions League if it wasn't for that crazy final game where goodness me De Vrij's already signed for Inter He's playing for Lazio. It's basically a playoff to qualify for the Champions League. He gives away a penalty. Icardi scores and into qualify. The craziest final game of the season. That was amazing. So, that was Serie A in a nutshell, really, wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. It really was. So much. Yeah. Uh, so they were, they were great a couple of seasons ago. Uh, last year, had a bit of a down year. Milinkovic-Savic wasn't so good. Picked up towards the end. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Alberto. A little bit deeper. Yeah, exactly. Lewis Alberto uh, you know, didn't put up the same numbers he did the year before. Immobile too. So I think they've got a lot there to, to bounce back. They've got the tools to have a good season. So it was hard to leave them off, off this list. They're, they're really going to be in the mix for the top, for the top six. Definitely. But you've got them at seventh place, more or less. Essentially, yeah. Any, any love for Fiorentina, the, the, the club that Jack cursed? Well, the, the club that almost got relegated on the final day. Yes. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> About so time, you, Frank Ribery. Well, yeah. when you put it like that, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of things going on in Fiorentina. I think that it, this is a stabilisation year. If, if Fiorentina finished in the top half this year, that's, that's a good season as far as... Are you familiar I mean, with what he did to them? He did to them there. They were doing fine. Then he went to visit them once. Went to Florence on holiday in February, March. <laughs> February, yeah. And they didn't win another game. <laughs> they they drew with Lazio the day I was there. And then they went on to lose, I think, nine of the next 11. <laughs> and then, yeah, didn't win a game until the end of the season. And only basically stayed up because there were worse teams than them. And that is, uh, it was really bad. But I think things are on the up for the Viola. I think City. The, oh, new, right. the new project looks good. Yeah, it, it does. does. Right, let's get into these Champions League spots. Into the then. top four. Come who, on. Who have you got a third in the ranking? And therefore fourth in the table. Well, not necessarily. Gov might think that someone is going to challenge for the crown. That's true, I guess. So, so third in your ranking. Fair point. So I've got Atalanta. Okay. Fourth. Uh, so they really were the best story of last season, I think. 
Um, as a bit of context, Atalanta have not been a you know a big club over the years at all. Pre Gasparini, the manager joining in 2016, they were finishing between 12th and 17th, um, and he's really brought them up over the last few years. So they came third last year. It's their first ever Champions League season this year. So that that's a, a concern to bear in mind. You know how are they going to deal with the uh, the workload of that? Uh, but but they're a brilliant side to watch. They scored the most goals in Serie A last season. Um, even outscoring you know, Ronaldo and Juventus. I think only in Europe's top five leagues, they're only outscored by PSG, uh, Bayern, Dortmund, Barcelona and Man City and Liverpool. So they're, they're, they're a thrilling team to watch. I think they're going to cause some upsets in the Champions League this year as well. Yeah. Uh, and I can absolutely see them holding on to, holding on to top four once again. Uh, the, the biggest concern for them was keeping hold of their players. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing with them over the last years is it's not just uh, you know, an achievement of, of reaching this level. They've had their best players taken every year. The likes of Kessier, Cristante, Matteo Kadara, who we've all mentioned already. Uh, you know, they have their best players pulled apart every single year. Uh, this year, they've managed to hold on to them all, apart from Gianluca Mancini, who's replaced Manolas at Roma. Yeah. Uh, but they kept Duvan Zapata, who was talking about, you know, 50 million moves to the Premier League or to Napoli. Well, he was, when we spoke to Christian Vieri early in the year, he was one of his top three strikers in Serie A. Yeah, I mean, he, he, was, had, he had him right up there ahead of Dries Mertens and a load of other names. Mm. Like, he's... It's seriously impressive. Talk about late breakouts. Was he 26, 27 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think he might be even slightly older than that. Yeah. And, he's, and he's just suddenly, it's all clicked. It's all clicked. It's sudden. You know, I think maybe he's found somewhere that he you know, feels really comfortable, finds home and a system that suits him. Yeah. And suddenly he's started banging in goals and, and fair play to, to Gasparini for working that out, to be fair. So who are people looking out for in this Atalanta side? They obviously excite you. Which yeah, players? so it's all about the front three. So you've got uh, Joseph Ilicic, uh, you've got Papu Gomez, the captain, Papu. and Duvan Zapata. And they're, they're a brilliant front three, every, every single one of them. I mean, Ilicic has been, uh, you know, he's a player who's never really found consistency, absurdly talented, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a very big player with an unbelievable touch, brilliant skill, uh, but he's never really been consistent. And Gasparini's got that out of him. So, you know, he, he's a really, really fun player to watch. And again, there was talk about him joining Napoli, but really he's found the place that, uh, you know, he's played best for, you know, the best player of his entire career. So yeah. he's in the right spot. Ilicic is always going to be in a region of sort of 20 goals and assists a season. You know, he's a talisman, kind of the modern Mr. Atalanta, if you like. Papu. Papu, that is, yeah, Alejandro right. Gomez. Uh, watch out for his dance as well when he, when he scores and celebrates. Yeah, if you haven't, um, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard or seen the Papu Gomez song, <laughs> it's very much worth, worth searching Dance Like Papu yeah. on on YouTube and having a listen and a watch because it is something else. It's and we, great. And it's... we can use it as like the Mario Gomez button almost. Like every time he, <laughs> every time he scores, do the Papu. Do the Papu no, dance. No problem. He's so I, think, I think he actually went gold in Italy as well. Like he's got the plaque. He on has. He's got he 42 has. Yeah, million yeah, yeah. views on YouTube. This is not some small thing. Like this is, this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Papu <laughs> is a big deal. He's a, very, very talented footballer. He's had a really weird career. I was looking this up the other day and he spent some time in Ukraine mm. where he demanded to go to Metalist Kirkiv uh, after his you know, first season in Serie A. Went there and then was like, nah, <laughs> they got banned from the Champions League. He <laughs> was like, I don't like this. Went back to Atalanta, saved them from relegation, has basically been there ever since, which is a really cool little story. It's a great story. And it, yeah, a bit of a late bloomer. I you know, he's, I think, 31 now. Mm. I genuinely think if he was a few years younger, there'd be so much more interest. He could play for, for most clubs in Europe. I, yeah. I think he's one of the most underrated players in Europe. 
Um, he's so, also just like a favoured son of the city now as well, isn't he? Like he, yeah. he is that club. Like he, mm. he is the face of it. And you don't really want to throw that away. Or like maybe it's, it's kind of like a source of your power st- style scenario where like I feel like Wilfred Zahar is better for Palace than yeah, he would be for be anybody right. else. And Papu is, is better for Atalanta than anyone. Mm. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and, you, and you don't want to ruin that. No, no, it's, it's a very much him. It's kind of fitting, I suppose, that he is going to captain the club in their first Champions League season, given yeah. what he has become as a token of that club, basically. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, yeah, he's really the guy to watch in the Champions League this year. Uh, like I said, they only lost one player, Gianluca Mancini, which is, which is the most important thing for them to actually keep it together this yep. year, replaced by Martin Skirtle. So we'll see how he does free agents. We tonight. will see. How he does. <laughs> Is the stadium ready? It's been like half knocked down. Uh, they're playing at Milan in the Champions League at Sun Zero. Oh, I see. Uh, so it's only, I think it's been reduced to something like 40,000 capacity. So it's going to be different. So then Bergamo's just down the road. So that's kind of their, their next local thing. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Right. Then who have you got in at the next spot, Gov? All right. So that leaves two. Uh, the two genuine challenges, I think. Uh, yeah, the two, the two teams who can actually compete with Juventus for the title. We've got Napoli and Inter. Uh, I think, well, I've got... Napoli been the second best team in Italy since Serie arrived. Yes. Uh, comprehensively. Uh, I think this is where that ends. I, okay. Think, okay. I think this is Inter's turn to, to, uh, to take over. All right. Uh, look, this, this iteration of Juventus and Napoli, I can't see them ever getting closer than, than Serie did. Uh, 91 points and didn't win the title is is you know unprecedented. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, is the word. I imagine Absolutely. Liverpool fans have have some sort of real deep affinity for that Sarri side <laughs> now. Yeah, especially since that in that run, Napoli beat Juventus, didn't they? Late on. Yeah, that big because Koulibaly scored a header to make it one nil, and they they and it was like it's on, mm. it's happening, and it just kind of fell away again. Um, really sad and you think really that then they're, they're no closer to that actually that they're, they're even further away I don't think so I mean they, they got 91 points that season that was two seasons ago last season they got 79 points in Carlo Ancelotti's first season mm. uh, you know Inter and Juve are going to put up big numbers you're going to have to get a lot closer to that 91 to be in the contention for the title yeah uh, I, I don't see it happening I mean, they've made some good signings like Manalas is a, is a sensational defender him and Koulibaly uh, it, it should be a great partnership. The should quickest be. partnership Definitely. in the world football, potentially. FIFA, tw- <laughs> FIFA 20 vibes here. There really is. Play with Napoli when you get this game. Mertens, maybe having Lozano if he signs. Got the quickest centre-back pairing. It's going to be fun. Good technical midfield as well. If they, if they can't win anything, they at least win FIFA 20's most fun team to play, in my opinion. Before we've played it. Before we've played it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see them falling down, Gov? Uh... I think the player who could potentially have made a difference would have been James Rodriguez. They were pushing to get him on loan. Real Madrid clearly only wanted to sell. Mm. Uh, is that the kind of player that, that could have made a real difference? And, you know, the superstar signing, who's got a point to prove to everyone, would he have made a difference, possibly? Uh, Herving Lozano looks like he's going to be coming in. It's quite, I think in the long term, he might be an even better signing than James would have been. Mm. Uh, whether that happens immediately as, you know, the kind of guy that arrives and, and, and scores loads of goals, I'm not too sure. What does question, like, he does play the exact same position as Lorenzo Insigne here. Yeah, I was like, thinking the this. exact same position. Well, so, so they've had an insignia in this kind of 4-4-2 where he's been up front with a Milik or a Mertens or mm. someone like that. So, uh, well, then they've had Fabian Ruiz on the left-hand side and in, you know, the kind of flat four Will Lozano play there? Where does Ruiz go? Maybe he comes back into the middle. 
So if they do sign him, Ancelotti's got a lot to work out. Yeah, Fabian Ruiz is some player, and he's just going to continue like ticking along in Napoli until he's bought by one of the biggest clubs in the world, isn't he? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's. I think he's had new contracts earlier this window when there was talk about him going to Real Madrid. So you know, there, there's interest already. Yeah, there we are. That's the level we're at. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, Napoli are are brilliant, but. I think they've regressed slightly under Angelotti. And I think maybe that's to be expected given how good Sarri was for them and how you know incredible that style of football was. But you know, his, is this year he changes it around a bit? You know, we've seen him go to that 4-4-2. Will he bring it back to a 4-3-3? There's a lot of talent in that midfield. Like we said, you know, Fabian Ruiz, Alan, Zielinski. They've brought in Elmas as well, yeah. who, you know, who's a very, very good player for, for what it's worth. And, and we've seen them have success with wing play before. So maybe this is the year that he kind of goes back to that and, and expands upon it a little bit. Possibly. I mean, it, it did feel a bit like uh, Ancelotti was trying to do different uh, things quite differently, not for the sake of doing things differently, but just to make a major change from, from where they were before. But I think this is kind of what Carlo does. He gets a squad of really good players and just kind of gets them all in somehow. You know, it's what he did at Madrid. It's what he's done at Chelsea. Um, you know, just kind of getting these these really good players to create a good dressing room and get one playing well together. So, you know, they've got a chance, um, but I don't, I don't see them competing with Inter. Okay, so well, let's get on to Inter. Yeah, let's right. talk about. Do you think Inter can beat Juventus this season? That's I do. The big question. Absolutely. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, like I said, I could not see previously how this was going to happen, uh, but one man has arrived: Antonio Conte. The man who started this Juventus dynasty. They were seventh before he took over. He took them on. Uh, their first season to go and win the title. Uh, you know, the former captain. Now is it Inter? Partner big with... Moment. Big moment. And, Ooh, the know, Juventus captain crossing the David Italia de divide is yeah. a big moment. It is, and I'm sure that's going to have damaged his... Well, it has damaged his reputation in, in the eyes of a lot of, uh, of Juventus fans. Yeah. Um, and he's partnered with Beppe Marotta, the guy who built that team for him or with him uh, at Juventus. Yeah, the sporting director. Exactly. So they have really, they've backed him to the hill. They've, gi- they've given Conte pretty much everything he wants. They're kind of missing a, f- a final striker at the moment. Uh, but, but they're building this team perfectly for him. So they've uh, signed Diego Godin so they can play his trademark three at the back. So yep. we've now got Godin, Milan Skriniar, Inter's best player, and Stefan de Vrij. It's a three centre-back. It's some back three, It's amazing. It? That's a great It is three. amazing. And really, the, the partnerships next season in Serie A, so you've got that three, Kulabali, Manolas at Napoli, as we said, and Juventus, De Ligt and Chiellini. Um, you've also got Bonucci and, and the rest R- of them. Rugani. Well. And, exactly. Yeah, De Morel, all, the, all the rest of And all, all the, the other ones. Troops. <laughs> <laughs> Juventus' 50-man defensive squad. Italy's C team out here finishing third in Serie A. <laughs> So, you know, we've said over the last few years that the defending in Serie A has got, got lower. It uh, has got worse. It has got worse. But really, I think there's now three of the best five. I mean, you know, best centre-back partnerships in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, who's got better? Maybe Real Madrid, Ramos and Varane. In theory. But Theoretically. Yeah, but they need to, not they need to actually play like it. Longley Piquet is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Laporte and whoever is very good. Van, Van Dijk, Dijk and whoever is very good. Uh, yep. Outside of that, we are we're talking we are talking defenses, we're talking yeah. Serie A defenses. Yeah, those three are big. So uh, yeah, so Inter have got this back three for Conte to use. He's going to play. Uh, they've given him a new right back. Yeah, Lazaro. Uh, Lazaro. Yeah. So he's a former winger for Hertha who was converted into a right back. So he's now kind of landing in somewhere in the middle, which yep. is perfect. You know, we don't need the best player of all time at right wing back, as you saw with Victor Moses at Chelsea, became a perfectly functional player for that team. Yeah, he did. Uh, looks like uh, Biraghi from Fiorentina's probably going to be coming in at left wing back as well to fill that hole. 
which means maybe Quadwa Samoa won't be playing. Oh, that's that's blasphemy. That's a heartbreak. Quadwo <laughs> is my guy, and he has to play. He's one of my all-time favourite players. I really hope D- Baragi doesn't leave D- your team. D- they D- really D- need D- him. <laughs> oh, well, they are building his squad. Um, they're, they're building his squad. And he's got a whole new midfield pretty much as well. We've got uh, Brozovic is still going to be there. And then the other the two... The crocodile himself. <laughs> exactly, the crocodile himself. So we'll see. I mean, he's still doing that every game, by the way. Every time someone's got a free kick, he's He also, he also wasn't down. the first Brozovic, person to do it. No, Brozovic has his nickname because he lies down behind the wall at free kicks to stop the low, the low crosses coming in. And <laughs> it is very funny. And now he just calls himself Il Crocodilo, which is just really ridiculous. <laughs> but, also but he wasn't the first person of to do fun. it. No, no, he still does it, it all the time. just in a big stage. It it's, is, yeah. it's important. It's important. Who else is going to be so obviously in that midfield? So we've got Nicola Barella, who yeah. they just signed from Cagliari, a 40, 50 million uh, euro player. Uh, so he's a starter for Italy. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he's a really good kind of all-action midfielder. Can do a bit of everything. And uh, Stefano Sensi, who they just signed from Sassuolo, who already in pre-season looks magic, kind of diminutive playmaker. I love Sensi. I he looks he's so a good. wonderful footballer. He's going to be the, the craziest spark in his side. And then up top, they've got Lukaku. Yep. Who, uh, you know, we can debate. We've all seen his first touches. I'm, he seems to always score goals. Lukaku's going to score 30-plus. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 look, he has his flaws, but he's very consistent at putting the ball in the back of he's the net. He's a brilliant goal scorer. And mm. he is the player that Conte's always wanted. Yeah. And this is the reunion of it, basically, where it's like he wanted him at Chelsea, he ended up going to Man United and Conte ended up getting Alvaro Morata. <laughs> that didn't really work out so well. So now this is kind of like, it's almost like a summer do-over where like at Chelsea, this should have happened. It didn't. Now it's happening in Milan. And I think it's going to work really, really well. We'll finish. Who's going to play wide and then we'll, we'll close this one off? Uh, we've got Latoro. Uh, Martinez up in the up in the two with him, and they're looking to sign another uh, striker as well. So we'll see who they end up with. Murmurs but, at the moment is Alexis Sanchez, but we'll see what uh, happens yeah. with the There's wages. A lot of talent here, like a lot of talent. There's the question talent. for me is depth. How much depth does this interside have if Lukaku gets injured? If Stefano Sensi gets injured, mm. who comes in to plug those gaps when you know they're playing a big and a long season where they're going to have to you know juggle a lot of competitions has Conte got that I know how how much he likes to stick with a team that he's got and that does occasionally wear them out yeah for sure so I I think it tends to last a season as as we saw with Chelsea Uh, although that Chelsea season he didn't have Champions League football to contend with which he does here Um, but there there is some depth they've got Gagliardini uh, Vecino who always seems to pop up with a big goal when they need it so they've got a couple of midfielders there they've got tons of midfielders I'm I'm just looking at the squad list like Brozovic Barella Vecino Sensi Jao Mario I'm sure they're trying to get rid of him to be fair Gagliardini Borja Valero. I was going to say, is Borja Valero still there? Because like, Borja Valero is one of my favourite players ever. And I'm entirely with you. I'm really hoping for that dream return to Fiorentina. That's the one that the new project yeah, needs to bring it in. It does need it, yeah. They've got tons of players. They might be a little bit light at centre-half. So they've got Bastoni, who, um, who's uh, Italy under 21 or 20 captain yep. uh, centre-back. So he's one that they're looking at to, to make a splash of season. I think Godin might be questionable for the first few weeks of the I season I saw well. he'd been ruled out for the first, like, well, for August, basically. Miranda's kicking about as well. I know no, Miranda's, Miranda's, Miranda's no longer there, but Ranocchi was kicking is. about. Um, correct. Yeah, and they've got... Da- what happened to Dalbert? So he's supposedly off to Nice when... Uh, back to Nice. Uh, yes, back to Nice. Right. His, his tenure, sorry, his tenure at Milan has been an absolute disaster. Yeah, it's been a proper disaster. I don't he's understand been, what happened He's there. been rubbish. Right, Sam, can, can Inter win the league? No. <laughs> but it's within six or seven points. Do so they come second? Yes, you they do. You Inter comes second? I've okay. got, I've got, I've got, uh, I like, I like what Gov has come, come to me with What's here. your top six? Run it down from six to one and then we're going to move I on. would go for Juve, then into Inter, then into Napoli. 
Atalanta, Roma, and then Milan in sixth. So only one slight difference. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, Sam. And thank you very much to Alex for that. Coming up after the break is everybody's favourite part of the show, apart from the poem. It's roulette and nonsense rankings. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. It's that time again. It is Bleacher Roulette. Sam, do you want to start us off? Spin this wheel. I shall indeed. Without stopping to think, name three games you reckon you could beat Cristiano Ronaldo at. Chess. Oh, my God. Chess. Uh, yeah, fine. Chess is one. Monopoly. I bet he doesn't play. Um, Bananagrams. Scrabble. <laughs> what is Bananagrams? It's like Scrabble, but there's no board. And you just have to, like, basically make words up as quickly as possible. Oh, uh, the one where it just becomes, like, almost yeah. Like, a, yeah, like, like a, a labyrinth of tiles. Correct. I could definitely beat him at that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah Scrabble, all that stuff. Anything word-related, I reckon I could do. Um, mastermind. Depends what the subject is. <laughs> Noughts and crosses. <laughs> Noughts and crosses is a good pick. <laughs> Anything you could beat, Cristiano? I was actually going to say Noughts and crosses. I fancy myself. Though. Poker. Connect four. Connect four. <laughs> I tell you what, we, we definitely couldn't beat any footballers at Uno. No, no. Yeah. They play it religiously. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, right. cool. Right, spin for Gov then, Sam. What is your favourite thing to do at half-time? Connect four. Banana grounds. Come <laughs> <laughs> on! Um, I always play Scrabble at halftime. At, at a game or, or TV? Both. At home, I'm making a cup of tea. Right. Every single time. Or a beer, depending on the time of the game, I guess. Okay. Yeah, if it's before midday, a yeah. beer. Afterwards, cup of <laughs> tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at a game, I'm probably going to the toilet. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not getting in the queue to the drinks. I think... oh, no, I've, already, I've already gone to the queue. I've gone to the drinks. For, I've sent someone else, actually. 42 minutes. <laughs> and I've already been to down. the toilet. I don't, I don't do that at halftime. That's the suckers game. Yeah. Not a chance. I'm, I'm getting, yeah, I'm going down, I'm getting a pie. There are certain rules. Time. You can't leave games early, but you can leave at halftime early no, in order th- to get a pint. That's I think, the I think only they're the rule. same. I think they're the same. You can't leave before the end of the game, also can't leave before the end of the half. What if someone scores the 45th minute and... Yeah, but what if then you don't get a pint? And what, if, what, and what if then you get stuck in the queue for the toilet? Yeah, that's a nightmare. You've got 15 minutes. It's not enough time. <laughs> it's not enough time. At home, same as Gov, get a beer. Not a tea, though. I do not drink tea. You don't, yeah. I'm, no, like, the, I'm like maybe maybe the only Englishman who just absolutely despises tea. Yeah, that's weird. I don't it, know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're not. But it's, uh, <laughs> I'm the only one I know of. The only one you know. I, I'm, I'm, I like a cup of tea. Give me a shout yeah. if you're English and you hate tea. We'll form a club. The anti-tea club. <laughs> right, okay. Ties, On that note, I'm going to give spin. Which song would you sing if you were at a football club and you had to do an initiation song? Oh, mate. Candle in the Wind, Elton John. Wow, <laughs> emotional. That's that's a really dark answer. <laughs> I need to get the I need to get the room in the right kind of mood for my arrival. <laughs> okay, Gav, what would you say? I'm a terrible singer, so doesn't maybe, matter. Maybe I'd have a go at rapping or something because I, I I mean I can't rap, but I can't sing to save my life. So. Do, you, do you, could you like could you give any song a go? Maybe something kind of rocky. We go some like ACDC or something, so we don't have to try and hit so many notes. We can yeah. just just shout a bit. That's fine. Hit your comfort zone. Stay yeah, in. You've got, find, you've got to find your gap. You only have to do it for like a minute and then you can sit down and forget about it for the rest of your life. I know the whole nine minutes of Rapper's Delight by the So I might, I might do that. This is very much game. Jack's game because Jack likes to sing. I do, yeah. So. Um, I think the answer is actually That's Life. I'd bang out a bitch to Sinatra. Would you? Yeah, I'd go, I'd go That's Life by Sinatra. What, be what's mine. the best footballer initiation that you've seen? Because I remember Tammy Abraham absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say Tammy Abraham's one springs to mind. It was at Aston Villa, wasn't it? Yeah, Not, yeah, yeah. Aston Villa when he, he was alone. He was absolutely sensational. There have been some this week, which is 
you know, why they've come up. Some of the Bayern ones were really good. Lucas Hernandez. Lucas Hernandez, did he do the Banish Fun song, which I cannot remember at all? Yeah, I, I remember seeing Lucas Hernandez and thinking, yeah, not bad. Okay. Not bad at all, actually, okay. Lucas. So another string to his bow, yeah. apart from being really good at football, quite good <laughs> at initiation songs. That is the nonsense siren, Sam. Gov's eyes. <laughs> Gov's there. eyes lit up. Woo! What no, is think, this? I think he was scared. What's on nonsense this week? Well, remember how last week's was educational? Yeah. Well, this is this is a bona fide rant. <laughs> the, these are the three things that annoy me most in football right now. Right, okay. So at number three, this is a recent phenomenon. It's the remind me of this tweet function. Have you seen that? Yeah. So this is not strictly football, but it's being used a lot in this sphere. Have you seen this? No. Basically, if you see a tweet that you reckon you might be able to prove wrong and therefore sneer at someone in future, you can just tag a remind me of this tweet bot in the mentions of oh. it. And then on the date that you specify, it will remind you that this person said this thing. Then you can check back on what everyone said and see if they're wrong and then you can abuse them. So you're now getting called out for being wrong. Good grief. My 1 to 20 Premier League predictions... I must have got a hundred remind me of this tweet in nine months. Do you have nothing better to do with your <laughs> lives? Like, seriously, ludicrous behaviour. And it's not just me, it's others as well, but I just feel particularly persecuted in this area. Of course, was it too? Number two is the crossing percentage completed stat. This is, <laughs> this is ridiculous, right? Right, this is a... This is ridiculous. This is a fundamentally broken statistic, right? It doesn't ever measure the quality of a cross. It just tells you whether or not it hit a teammate's body part or not. It doesn't take into account whether or not it was the right choice. It doesn't take into account whether it went so far over his head, it, he had to chase it to the corner flag to touch it to keep it in play. That's a completed cross. And conversely, if you're Alexander Kolarov and you smash in a low ball into Jekko, it bounces off a few people, but hits an opponent first and then it goes in. You've caused absolute carnage. It's a great ball into the box. It's an incomplete cross. So don't come to me with your completed cross statistics because it doesn't work and I don't accept them. Into number one. <laughs> I'm just going to let you run. I'm pretty happy here. The N'Golo Kante position debate. Oh boy. This is a good one. Yeah, well... Gov, Gov, as a Chelsea fan, you would have been embroiled in this for the last uh, two years or so. So I would be very interested to hear from those who insist that Maurizio Sarri played Kante in the wrong position, what they thought of his performance in the Super Cup. Because it was great, wasn't it? And it came from the same position that he played all season for Sarri. Because he's never been the deepest midfielder in a three. That's always been the wrong answer. And I don't really understand why people have the idea that, that he's the right one. Because... He played that role for in Conte's first like five games or so. When Conte tried to play a 4-3-3, he put Kante as the deepest player. His passes and his touches went up, uh, but his ground covered tackles, interceptions, dribbles all went down. It, that's bad news. You don't want that. Kante needs to run up and down. Now, there may have been some systematic constraints from Sarri on Kante. But the answer was... Is, is, is light. They may, <laughs> the, the answer was never to swap him with Jorginho. No. And I don't like the fact that after the Super Cup... People started saying, oh, look at Kante. How amazing is he? Lampard's really set him free. To an extent, he has. But no one has ever misplayed Kante positionally except for Antonio Conte. He's the only manager ever to play him in the fundamentally incorrect position. Everyone else has done it right. It's just about the wider tactics around it that make it work or don't work. It's got nothing to do with the position, is what you're saying. He is a box-to-box number eight, whether that's in a two or a three. Don't play him as the sole holding midfielder. He would not thrive as the Jorginho. Don't put him there. It doesn't work. It wastes him. And the Super Cup is not evidence to the contrary. 
Okay. Alrighty, well, thank you, Sam, I think, for that. That is us all wrapped up for this week. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to these two <laughs> fellas. To Alex McGovern, would you like to chuck your social media handles out there for everyone to hear, Alex? Yeah, that's Alex McGovern 11 On Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. On Twitter, right. And as ever, thank you to the inimitable Sam Ty. Mm, I've you. been Jack Collins. Remember to get involved with all things pod using the hashtag BRFootballRanks. Get us on Instagram. Get involved with sending in questions for hot takes and roulette. Get involved with the poll. Goes up on Twitter every week. If you haven't already, make sure you download the BR app. There are now in there club previews, in-depth club previews for over 15 different clubs across Europe with me, Sam and Dean. So get on and see what's happening there. Keep sharing the pod, keep inviting your friends, and we'll see you very shortly. Take care, Rank Squad. Peace. <laughs>